I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 32. The very first book of the Bible, easy to find. Genesis chapter 32. We'll begin at verse 22, where we read, That same night he, and we're referring to Jacob, got up and took his two wives and his two maids and his eleven children and crossed the ford at the Yabok. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him, until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, You are no longer called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face. And yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket, because he struck Jacob on the hip socket at the thigh muscle. Let us pray together. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for the privilege of studying it together. And now as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own. Through the name of Jesus the Christ, amen. I always find it intriguing the people that God sometimes calls and uses for his purposes and to carry out his covenant and his love for us. Jacob was one of those interesting characters. Now, it would seem like a, a natural character. This is, after all, Abraham's grandson. But Jacob, he was a character. Actually, Jacob was a little on the mischievous side. He was incredibly cunning. And if we're honest about it, he was pretty dishonest at times in the way he treated even his own family. I mean, you see it kind of from the beginning when you hear about Jacob and his brother Esau being in their mother's womb. One of the things that you hear uh, from Rachel is in Genesis 25, verse 22, which says, The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it's to be this way, why do I live? Ah, oh, already before they're born, Mom knows that these two kids are going to be a handful. And then how does Jacob get his name? Well, Genesis 25, verse 26. Afterwards, his brother came out, meaning Jacob, with his hand gripping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. 
Jacob. That name means uh, supplanter or one who grabs the heel. And then when you read the rest of the story of Jacob and, and some of the things that he does, it's pretty incredible. I mean, Jacob, for example, is one who tricks his brother out of his birthright, that blessing that it was reserved for the oldest child that gift of the rights and privileges of the oldest child. And, and Jacob, one day when his brother Esau was hungry and tired and famished, kind of convinces him just to give it up, and he makes the deal. Later, later we see in chapter 27, when Jacob is willing to even trick his father, Isaac, with the help of his mom, they make it appear to Isaac, who was blind at this time, that, that this was indeed Esau, the older brother, the hairier brother. And as he's preparing to die, he offers the blessing to who he thinks is Esau, the oldest son, but instead it's to Jacob, the trickster, the supplanter, the one who grabs the hill. Jacob just seemed to always be up to something. And after tricking his brother Esau yet again, and this time for the blessing, Esau had had enough. He had decided it is time to get rid of this kid, and he is ready to go after his brother. His mom finds out that Esau is planning to, to come after the brother, and, and so she helps him escape, and Jacob is now gone. And then one day he sees this beautiful young lady that he falls in love with. And so he decides that he wants to marry her. Ah, oh, I want to be with this beautiful lady. He goes and he meets the father. His name is Laban. And, and he convinces him, you know, I, I want to marry your daughter and and so he then agrees, you can marry the daughter, but I first need you to work for me for seven years. Here, you're going to see Jacob kind of meet his match with Laban. And so he serves for about seven years, and then it's time to be able to take Rachel as his bride. And, and then the father-in-law decides, you know what, it's just not right for the younger daughter to be married first. So on the wedding night with the veil on and the covering there, he presents his oldest daughter Leah instead. And, and so they spend the night together as husband and wife. The next morning, Jacob wakes up and realizes he's married to Leah and not Rachel. He confronts Laban. Laban explained, hey, it's just not right in our country and in our culture that you would marry the the youngest one all first. And so then they agree, you can now marry Rachel, but you've got to work another seven years. And that just begins this whole thing of the two of them, one outdoing the other, constantly trying to trick one another, take advantage of each other, until finally it is time to go home. It's time for Jacob to go home, to face his brother, to go home. And so in chapter 32, we see as he's preparing to meet his brother, he's trying to appease his brother, he sends gifts to his brother because he knows he had wronged his brother. And, and, and so the, the message is sent out, he sends these people ahead, go tell Esau that I'm coming, these are gifts. And they come back and tell then Jacob, your brother Esau's coming. He's bringing 400 men with him, and that terrifies Jacob. He just knows Esau is coming to kill him. He has every right to be angry at him, has every right 
to want to get even with him. Oh, this is going to be bad. And so then we have this evening that the scripture picks up where Jacob takes his family and they go over the ford at the Yabok. It's the tributary river that feeds into the Jordan River and he takes them across, but then he goes back to the other side and he's, he's now alone to spend some time alone. Maybe he just needed some quiet time to get his head straight. Probably tomorrow I'm going to see my brother. What do you say to your brother that you cheated out of a birthright? A brother that you stole the blessing from a dying father from? How do you, how do you make amends with a brother like this? How, how do you restore a relationship? What's it going to be like? Is he going to be coming after me to kill me? You think I'm going to die? I could die tomorrow. I could die. My entire family could die tomorrow. We know that he's thinking that because he prays about it. If you just back up a few verses to chapter 32, verse 9 and following, you'll see where he's, he's crying out to God, God, help me through this with my brother Esau. And you promised that, that you were going to bless me. And, and yet this is, God, I need you. Maybe he needed some time to pray again. He had prayed that prayer earlier. Maybe he wants the family and everyone else to go to the other side. I just need to be alone. I need to pray that before he can deal with his brother, he needs to first deal with his God and, and, and get his relationship with God right. I mean, I, I sinned against my brother, and, and how can I do that when I'm called to love my brother? And all of a sudden, a strange thing happens a man shows up. We're not really sure exactly who it is, and we start figuring it out toward the end. But it's an interesting character, and it's kind of kept vague for a reason. Allows us to wrestle with it ourselves. And, and all of a sudden, this man shows up, and he and Jacob wrestle all night long. All night long. They wrestle together pushing and pulling against each other. And, and Jacob will just not give in. He just will not give up. He, he, he perseveres and he, he continues to wrestle. And, and finally, the man, knowing that, that Jacob is holding on and staying in there, he reaches over and he strikes Jacob on the hip and knocks his hip joint out of socket. But in spite of that and the pain that he must have been feeling, Jacob will not let go. And finally the man says, I need you to let go of me because it's almost daybreak. And, and Jacob goes, I won't let go until you bless me. Why did he need to let go because it's daybreak? I mean, some people try to guess, is this because evil forces are out or spiritual forces are out in the middle of the night but not in the light of day? Uh, is that really what's going on? Terence Fredheim, who is a biblical scholar, reminds us that the man is wanting Jacob to let go not to protect himself, but actually to protect Jacob. Because we start realizing that this is God that Jacob is wrestling with, and no one can experience and see the fullness of God, the face of God. We hear and see that again with Moses later when he wants to see the face of God. And, and Fredheim reminds us that if Jacob holds on until daybreak, 
He is a dead man, meaning there's just no way he could experience the fullness of God and live. You need to let go. Not until you bless me, Jacob says. I mean, it's, it's that time where you begin to see Jacob realizing his inferiority. I mean, for the first time you get a sense of humility. Jacob had just kind of been full of himself from the beginning, from before he was even born, through his childhood, through the taking advantage of his brother and his father and his father-in-law and anyone that he seemed to be around. He was, he was pretty confident in himself. I don't think low self-esteem was one of Jacob's issues. But now you see him beginning to wrestle. He's wrestling with someone that he knows can take him at any time. If he has the power to touch my hip and throw it out of socket, he has the power to get free. His asking to be let go was a request of respect, but I can get free at any moment. And Jacob realizes that I need you to bless me. You have something about you. He stole the blessing of his father, but now I need you to bless me. He wanted a blessing from God. And so the man said, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Remember that means supplanter. One who grabs the heel. And the man says, you're no longer Jacob. From now on, you are Israel. Now, there's something I want you to understand about the Hebrew language, and that is El, E-L, is the word for God. It's the Hebrew word uh, that also means God. You might remember many years ago, Amy Grant made a song very popular called El Shaddai. El, God, Shaddai, Almighty, God Almighty, God Almighty. When we hear of the place Bethel, it's actually Bethel, and El is God. Beth means house of, so Bethel is house of God. And I'm changing your name to Israel, El, meaning God, one who strives with God, the word Israel, one who strives with God, wrestles with God. And the man said, I'm calling you Israel because you have wrestled with God. You've wrestled with human beings and you have prevailed. You're no longer Jacob. You're no longer the supplanter. You're one who wrestles with God. And and, and then Jacob, or Israel, then says to him, well, what is your name? And, and, And the man replies back, why do you need to know my name? And again, hold on to that. Later, Moses will ask the same question, what is your name? And the man said, why do you need to know that? And he blesses Jacob right there, Israel right there, and then he's gone. And Jacob realizes what has just happened. That he had wrestled with God himself. That he had been in the presence of God himself. And and so he then names the place Peniel. El, Peniel. That name means face of, and remember El, God. Face of God. Because he said, it's right here that I have seen the face of God. And yet, I have been preserved. He preserved my life. I have wrestled with God and yet, I am still alive. 
And we're told that the sun then came up upon him and he leaves that place blessed but limping. He had had an experience with God that changed his life and the limp was a reminder of who he was, who God is, and the relationship together. Blessed yet limping. I, I love the scripture and one of the reasons why is because it reminds us that we have a God who's willing to wrestle with us. And I think that is one of the most beautiful attributes of God. Why? It's because we only wrestle with people and with things that are important to us. And the fact that God is willing to wrestle with us to me means that we're important enough to God that God would actually take the time and the energy and the effort to get into a wrestling match with us in our prayer lives and in our daily lives. I mean, think about the intimacy that this God is willing to have. It reminds me of Psalm 8, verse 3, once again, that says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established... What are human beings that you are mindful of them? And yet we see throughout the scripture that God desires an intimate relationship with us. That this God who creates the world by simply saying the word, for some reason loves you by name and loves me by name. And not only does God love us, but he loves us enough to get involved in our lives and to wrestle with us and allow us to wrestle with God. I mean, what a gift because this all-powerful God could simply go, stop bothering me. And yet, He wants to be part of my world and my life. We see it with Adam and Eve in the garden that God walked among them to be part of their lives. And even when we broke the relationship, God has continued to desire to be part of our lives. And then we celebrate today the incarnation where God loved us enough that he took on human form to live among us and teach us of his kingdom to wrestle with us. And then dies for us. The fact that we have a God that will wrestle with us is one of the greatest gifts David wrestles with God in Psalm 22. You better believe Jesus was wrestling when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane before the cross, sweating drops of blood. And we can wrestle with God. I will tell you, I wrestle with God repeatedly. There are times in my life when I feel God leading me one way, I want to go a different way, and we enter one more wrestling match. And I love the fact that God loves me enough that God is willing to put forth the energy and the effort to wrestle with me. Because just like Jacob, he realized if, if he can touch my hip and throw it out of socket, he can finish me off at any time. And yet, he still chooses to preserve my life. I've wrestled with God. I've seen the face of God. And yet... He still preserves me and loves me. What an amazing gift. So I, I want to encourage you to wrestle with God. If you take your faith seriously, and if your faith is a real part of your life, then there are going to be times we're going to wrestle with God. 
I mean, one of the things that I share with, with couples when I'm doing either their premarital or their marital counseling or family dynamics is that we talk about is that, you know, what does conflict look like in your relationship? Because anytime you have two people in a relationship and if they're going to be honest and sincere, there are going to be times when there's conflict. I don't think conflict is a bad thing. I think conflict can actually be a positive thing that helps us look at things differently and grow and become stronger depending on if we do it effectively. But we're in a relationship with God and if we're in a genuine relationship, there are going to be times that we wrestle so I encourage you to wrestle with God, to be honest with God, and to name what you're thinking, to name what you're feeling. God already knows it. And then persevere. Jacob did not let go. I think sometimes we, we get into a wrestling match with God and we go, God, this is what I really want. I'm not really happy about it. And we just kind of move on and we kind of let it go. And that means we never really grow in our faith. God wants you to get in there and be honest to wrestle, to be genuine, to share, this is where I am in my life, and God, I need you to guide me through this. I need you to help me through this, and to wrestle, to push and pull. Because that's when you get blessed. That's when God goes, what is your name? What is your name? Because you are different now. Since you've wrestled with me, your faith is going to be different. Your life is going to be different. You're going to be a different person don't let go and allow God to bless and then know sometimes when we come out of these wrestling matches with God we kind of keep our limp I mean there are times that I've wrestled with God and and I I know that because of what I was going through in my life you just kind of feel I will always be different now and I remember that time it was a it was a time where we wrestled and I'm changed because of it I just want you to hear the good news. You've got a God who wants a genuine relationship with you. Jacob had prayed earlier to God, this is what I need, and God came to wrestle with him through it. Later, we're going to see Jacob meet Esau and the two reconcile and embrace because God had wrestled, Jacob had wrestled, and now reconciliation could occur. And you have a God who loves you so much that He wants to be part of your life and not just the good part of your lives. And the other thing is God wants a genuine relationship with you and not just a superficial, I love God, God loves me, aren't we all just happy? I mean, that's wonderful, but it's not real. God wants you to get real with Him. I love God, but I will tell you there are times I wrestle with the my will, thy will. There are times I feel God calling me in a direction and I wrestle with it. There are times that I feel God calling me in my family and, and I'm going, God, are you sure? And calling me here and calling me there and pushing back against me when I start going the wrong way. And that's wrestling with God and it is okay to name it and wrestle because you have a God who loves you enough to put forth that kind of energy. That kind of effort, that kind of love for you. And don't believe me? The God I'm talking about loved you enough to give his body and blood for you. If you ever wondered if you were loved, we only wrestle with the people that we love enough to invest that kind of energy in their lives. And God loves you enough 
to wrestle with you and to die for you. Will you pray with me? God, we're so grateful for your love and your grace. And as we come to this table, we are reminded once again of how much you love us. And when we read the story of Jacob, who was quite the character, we see that you loved him enough to wrestle with him. And you love us enough to wrestle with us and to allow us to wrestle with our faith, to allow us to wrestle in our relationship with you, to wrestle with the calling that you have upon our lives, to wrestle with what it means to be a Christian in our lives and a disciple wherever we are. God, thank you for loving us enough to be intimately involved, but then to love us enough to die for us. God, we are humbled and we seek your blessing. Bless us, we pray. And to seek to forgive us for our sins, to offer us everlasting life and an eternal relationship with you, God, we are grateful. So change our hearts and bless us, we pray. And God, we're grateful that Jesus was willing to give his body and blood to make all of this happen. So now as we come to the table, we ask that you would cleanse us and bless these gifts of bread and the cup. And make them be for us the body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, so that we may be for this world the body of Christ having been redeemed by his blood. God, we ask that you would cleanse us, forgive us, make us whole, wrestle with us. And as we receive these gifts of bread and cup, remind us of who we are as your people and who you are as our God, a God who loves enough to put forth the effort to wrestle so that we may grow to be your disciples in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.